Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today we are talking about bankruptcy. That's right. It is one of my favorite subjects, and I'm not kidding. I love bankruptcy lawyers. For those of you who are not initiated in the practice of law, bankruptcy is it's a tool and it's a it's something that was created to help businesses who need a fresh start. Now, over the years, the complexity of bankruptcy has increased, and we have the perfect person to help us talk about that today. He also has a very specific, I'm going to call it a niche, uh, let's see what he calls it, in bankruptcy that he's been doing for 28 years. And I want to delve into that a little bit. It is my pleasure, my privilege to welcome Neville Reed to the Inside BS Show. All right, Neville, thanks for joining us. Tell sure. us a little bit about you and your background and why you chose bankruptcy as your as your preferred practice area. Sure. Yeah. I Thanks, David. First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm glad to be part of this. I uh, chose bankruptcy because it was an area in which it seemed as though the questions that we were asking were really uh, interesting and, and riveting. I had started my uh, practice after finishing at Harvard uh, Law School. I started practicing law at Mayor Brown, uh, where I was for 22 years. And I started in the uh, general transactions practice where we were putting together a lot of deals. And when, when the first major recession of my practice uh, hit in 1990, a lot of those deals came to a halt and they had to get restructured. And as they were getting restructured, uh, as debt was getting structured, companies were attempted to be uh, salvaged. I just found the questions that we were asking very interesting. Uh, do you keep the same management team? Can the company be saved? Uh, do you have to sell the company? It was just very, very, it was, those are very fascinating questions and they need a lot of help in our bankruptcy area. So I helped them on it. And as I more helped them, the more I liked it. <laughs> and, uh, and because of the, the questions that we were asking and, and trying to see what could be done to uh, remedy uh, financial distress, I, I just got really, really sucked in. I also found that the skill sets in bankruptcy are very, very diverse. Uh, you have a great opportunity to do both transaction work and litigation work uh, without going into the extremes of either. So in the, in the transactional practice of law, you often get overwhelmed and buried with a lot of documents, a lot of forms. They're great, but I mean, you can, be, can become very pigeonholed. And in litigation, you can just get overwhelmed with a lot of discovery, a lot of procedural delays and, and spending a lot of time doing other things besides getting to the point. I find that in bankruptcy, because everybody has lost so much money already, uh, I'm much more interested in getting right to the point, much more interested in getting to a deal, much more interested in getting to uh, a, a settlement if you have it. Sometimes you got to litigate as necessary to, to, to increase your leverage, but everybody's trying to get to some resolution of, of, of the problem. And that's one of the things I really love a lot. Great diverse set of skills, draws on diplomacy, uh, equanimity, litigation, ability to do, to do a deal, stand up in court and to make uh, to make a persuasive case that you come with the best resolution for the distress situation at hand um, uh, without getting dragged into the extremes. All right. So, Neville, tell us about the I'm going to use a word here and you correct me if I'm wrong, the fraternal nature of the bankruptcy bar. It seems like the members of the bankruptcy bar are always running into each other in, especially when there are when there's a recession and there are a lot of high profile bankruptcies talk about the fraternal nature of the bankruptcy bar yeah that's a great emphasis dave i got to tell you bankruptcy lawyers and bankruptcy professionals 
are really some of the best people I've ever met. I mean, I know it's a little bit cliche-ish. It sounds uh, kind of uh, childish, but it's just absolutely true. It is not unusual that the very person that you're negotiating with on the other side, if they represent the lender and you say represent an investor or, or the debtor, it is not unusual that you'll have this knockdown, dragout negotiation, but at another time, the roles will be slipped. Will, I'm sorry, will be flipped. You'll be on the other side, or they may need to have somebody assist with your particular skill set uh, in a, a particular situation. And they may, they may, because they respect you, uh, have to call you into a, a situation. So fraternal is, uh, I think, a very good word for it. A, a lot of, a lot of mutual respect. And, um, I don't know, I don't know why that's a different culture, say, than sort of general litigation or other areas. It may have to do with the fact that the way Congress designed the bankruptcy code, it's all structured to get to a resolution. Uh, it, it is actually, and, and the judges foster that culture as well with wanting to, make sure that the party to try and exhaust all opportunities to resolve a distress situation. That might be self-selective. It could be that people who like that kind of environment go into it. So therefore, we all tend to be very similar. But I like to think also that as a result of being in that culture, it kind of rubs off on you that, that you see uh, the uh, referral system going on. You see, you see the mutual respect. And it's a lot. I think it's a lot better and more pronounced than I, I've observed in, in some other areas of our practice. So tell us a little bit about when there's, so there, let's say, that, let's say, let's use an airline example, right? American Airlines files for bankruptcy and there are 150 creditors mm -hmm. and there's a, explain how it works, a creditors committee and each person right. has to have their own representation. That's why you guys are so great about referring each other. Do us a favor and give us the very short course on how something like that works. Sure. So if it's an 11, uh, then in 11 in our system, unlike in other countries, uh, the presumption is that, is that the, the debtor can continue to operate their business. And so you're operating in uh, under the supervision of a federal bankruptcy judge. There is an a entity from the Justice Department called the United States Trustee uh, Office and the Office of the United States Trustee. And they are responsible for overseeing the procedural aspects of the bankruptcy case, making sure people have proper notice that that the uh, that a committee of creditors is formed. Sometimes they have to form more than one committee of creditors uh, because not all creditors have uh, similar interests. You might have a bank committee, you might have a, a, a trade committee. Uh, maybe if there are uh, uh, people who are, who are injured, say by a particular kind of uh, of accident, uh, that you might have to have a personal injury uh, plaintiff type committee. So they'll organize it to the committees of creditors in the case according to the commonality of interest. And the whole goal of the Chapter 11 case is to get into a, um, a plan of reorganization. Uh, and the plan of reorganization is like a new contract with your creditors. The old contract, your relationships go away and you form a new contract and that goes out. Uh, that, that plan that, that, is, uh, that is a culmination of the case will include uh, organization of classes uh, by a similarity of interest. It will uh, also describe um, what what each class is going to get. Are they impaired? That is, are their pre petition contractual rights being adjusted or are they being preserved? Uh, and to the extent they are impaired, are they being treated fairly? Are the economic rights based on what's left uh, of the of the of the bankruptcy uh, state? Uh, are are they being treated fairly? And um, then uh, that plan is uh, is accompanied by a disclosure statement, which is which is analogous to a, a prospectus. And that disclosure statement describes to the creditors who they are, where you're organized, and what you're going to get. And that is sent out to a vote. 
and it's uh, the vote is by class, and if it's an impaired class, then it'll be by majority uh, number of claims and uh, two thirds of dollar amount of claims per class. And then, the, but that's not the end of it. The, the plan, if it's approved by the very by the records of classes, comes back to the court for what's called confirmation, and the judge will decide. Uh, does the plan otherwise satisfy the requirements of the bankruptcy code? One of which is, is it feasible? Uh, is, it, is, is this case going to end up in what they call a chapter 22, where the, he confirms the plan, he or she confirms the plan, but then a year later, they think they're going to be in bankruptcy again. So, uh, and then, then the debtor is off and running as a, as a fresh start, as a new entity, and that's in, that's in chapter 11. Chapter 7 is a different, where a trustee is appointed. I do a lot of those because I've been a bankruptcy trustee since 1994. And that's where you have control over all of the uh, assets of the estate. And, and in a seven year, you're, you're, you're liquidating, but often you're looking for uh, an entity to buy the assets if it's a company uh, as, as either as a going concern or for as, uh, as great a, a price as possible in an orderly liquidation. So Neville, in, in an 11, in a chapter 11 bankruptcy, each one of the creditors has to have, or you know, it's, it, it's almost, it's not required, but they, ha- they should have their own counsel, right? Yeah, that would absolutely. Yeah, it's it's one of the it's trap for the unwary. You don't. I've heard some judges say, "Please, please get." They say to a pro se creditor, "Please get uh, yourself a bankruptcy lawyer. This is not uh, a familiar territory for you. It has its own set of rules." And I think that's a good thing that judges do, but people think they can kind of manage your own affairs. And that's one of the reasons why I love this practice area. Is this you know this giant case can have you know, 50 lawyers or 100 lawyers because each creditor needs his or her own lawyer or each entity needs his or her own lawyer. Now, right. you mentioned the Chapter 7s and, and being a being a trustee. What, why did you choose to be a trustee? Because not every, every bankruptcy lawyer becomes a trustee. In fact, very few do. So why did you choose to become a trustee? Yeah, I uh, chose largely because I saw it as a great opportunity to come in and be both the lawyer and the business person and to do uh, as best you can a degree of economic justice. I love what trustees do. What we as trustees do is we we come in like in a chapter seven situation and we investigate the debtor and see if there's any hidden assets that creditors can be can be paid from. But we often find a wrongdoing uh, where say for example uh, some insiders of a company may have transfer the, uh, the the business into a different entity beyond the reach of the creditors. And all the creditors of the original entity, they're looking to you, the trustee, to bring about a, a some kind of economic justice to go after those fraudulent transfers, return the value to the estate, and get uh, the creditors paid. And creditors are a very diverse group. Some people here, creditors, they think, oh, the, the big multinational corporations, they can take care of themselves. No, in the vast majority of cases, creditors can be uh, an ex-wife, uh, who may have helped found the company and, and the uh, debtor, debtor is a husband and, and he may have tried to get the company to a family member or uh, someone else in the family that, that they're estranged from to hide the company from the ex-wife who worked with him to build it over years. Uh, the creditor could be small business people in, in your community who uh, really are counting on getting paid and, and can't afford to have you know huge write-offs. Otherwise, they'll just be out of business. They don't have the kind of uh, cushion that the big Microsofts and big companies have. Uh, sometimes uh, creditors are just individuals. Uh, somebody helped somebody in distress and they, they were not, they're not paid back. Or it could be small banks who are counting on the 
return of the, that flow of money from the, the uh, bank of entities in order to make new loans to people who want to buy homes and grow their business. So uh, that's that's what I did. I, I want to get in, uh, not just because I, I like the set of skills that we do and that we utilize in bankruptcy, but I love the extra element where I'm the person making that decision to go after the bad guys, people who've done bad things, and to bring about some economic justice for, for people who otherwise wouldn't have a skill set to bring to bring about that that result. Okay, now I want to ask you about the I, I don't I don't know how else to put it the stigma associated with bankruptcy, and I, I want to get your your take because you've seen you've seen everything when it comes to bankruptcy, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Should we not have a stigma about bankruptcy? I mean, doesn't bankruptcy exist to let entrepreneurs take a chance to create an economic engine? What's your What's your opinion? Should we have a stigma related to bankruptcy or not? Well, that's a great, great question. I think culturally as a country, we had a long period of time where we had thought that if you didn't pay your bills, it was like stealing. And uh, as you go further back in history, you have uh, debtors for you know, people in Europe. <laughs> so thankfully those are gone. <laughs> yeah, you can say that uh, again. <laughs> so culturally, I don't, I don't uh, think it was wrong for people to value uh, repaying, you know, value keeping your promises uh, the way that we did. And we, and we should still do that. I, and, and I think in the individual situation where you have some people who are irresponsible, uh, they're reckless, they... They borrow money that they know they shouldn't have. There is a there is an unfortunate. I mean, there may not be a there isn't a stigma, but there is, I think, an unfortunate reality that some people are using bankruptcy to get out of um, obligations which, had they managed their lives better, um, they they, uh, they they would have been able to pay it. But in the overwhelming majority of cases that I've been involved with as a trustee, um, particularly in Chapter Seven, people need the relief. I mean, they're subject to vagaries and 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 exogenous shocks and factors like uh, COVID, um, a downturn in a particular sector, um, uh, divorce, um, illness, uh, lack of health insurance, and a lack of a, of, a, of a comprehensive infrastructure of healthcare insurance in our country that still leaves uh, some people out in the cold. So the vast majority of people that I run across, they really need to relief. Stigma is like the last thing on their mind. They got to feed their kids. They got to send their kids to school. They, they need to uh, wipe out debt so that they can have enough money to, to pay their, their essential bills. That's the typical individual debtor. On the corporate side, I think we have a really great system because our system presumes that the person who's probably most knowledgeable about how to recover the business is the, is the current management itself. That's why the presumption in our system is current management and the current owners can continue to operate unless they become, unless they show themselves uh, to be uh, hopelessly corrupt, if they're not honest, they don't follow the rules. And then we would get, even in a Chapter 11 case, I'm doing one now, the creditors and the, and the government say, we have to get a trustee involved in this 11 to replace management, to get the company, to save the company uh, from basically themselves, <laughs> uh, from, from management who are doing a poor job. But those are the rare, that, that, those are the rare situations. Most uh, most companies uh, that go into 11 really should be given that chance to uh, reorganize. And um, for them, again, it's not, I mean, I think that the stigma may be there, uh, and, and it certainly is there for, for some businesses, but they should take uh, confidence in the fact that there have been some, you know, pretty successful people who, and successful, successful companies who, who've used 
bankruptcy as a restructuring tool um, and, and, and are still around to talk about it. You talk about the airlines. I mean, some of the airlines were in Chapter 11, but thank God they're still flying today. Um, and, uh, and so that, I think that is, uh, that is the case. Now, Dave, you mentioned something about, uh, about stigma that I think is related to another point that we should, we should cover, which is one of the, the pieces of advice that I give people when they come to me is uh, when, when they're in, when they're, when, when they're in financial distress and they're saying, Hey, I got to file bankruptcy. I very often talk them, talk them out of bankruptcy because they have not considered the impact, the ad, potential adverse impact that a bankruptcy filing might have on customer relationships on cash flow, on uh, on their on their earnings, and their all their projections may get thrown off when they take into account, hey, major customer relationships might leave me if I'm actually in bankruptcy. So let's look at the let's diagnose the underlying problem of the business. Maybe it doesn't relate to all your credit. Maybe you just have a really difficult relationship with one principal client who's not paying, and as a result of they're not paying you, you're not able to pay your landlord, you're not able to pay your bank. Let's look at that relationship. We structure it. And then um, maybe get into what's called a forbearance, where you're trying to get what I like to say the benefits of bankruptcy without filing bankruptcy. Get the benefits of bankruptcy without actually filing. And you can do that through all kinds of tools that we we have at our disposal. Uh, and one of the best things I have seen is where uh, clients use to the clients take that advice. They we we utilize the non-bankruptcy tools for the benefit. They stay out of bankruptcy and then they go off and they're able to mushroom and pursue all kinds of other opportunities and i just have you know some nice success stories where that's that gives me a lot of gratification to see how that actually works <laughs> so i i have a question and i want you to take a minute and think about the answer because i have to um i have to introduce our sponsors real quick and here's the question that we're going to come back to i'd like you to give us advice on how we handle so if we're if we're in debt and we're getting calls from creditors how do we handle them? And I also want you, the second part of the question, so I don't forget, <laughs> you can remember it. <laughs> I want you to explain the superpower that you have as a bankruptcy attorney. I'll get into that part of the question right when we come back. So you're going to answer the first part, and then I'm going to ask you the second part in just one minute. Our show today is sponsored by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Actually, all of our shows are sponsored by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors has helped businesses, privately held businesses, and businesses in distress, as well as businesses who are facing litigation. So they've helped litigators with their accounting. Now, Here's the thing that Sandrowski does, one of the things that I really like. Sandrowski can help you if you're thinking about selling your business. There's a little used area of the tax code called the Qualified Small Business Exemption. Now, if you set up your business in a certain way and you're in a few very specific industries, when you go to sell your business, a portion of the capital gains can be excluded from taxes. Now, the Sandrowski Corporate Advisors folks, they have done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the last couple of years. And they were just telling me a story about a, a firm that they helped save, literally, I'm not joking, $10 million. So imagine what the windfall in profit would have been and the amount they would have paid. They saved them $10 million on their taxes. Now, here's the thing. The best time to call Sandrowski to set up your business with this particular structure 
would have been when you formed your business, but you didn't know about it. So I'm telling you about it now. The second best time to call them is right now because you need at least a five-year window in order for this specific structure to take place. If you have a business and you're thinking about your exit strategy for a number of reasons and the qualified small business tax exemption is just one of them, that is a great reason to call Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. You can reach out to them at 866-717-1607, We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. If you're looking to build your book of business, you're a lawyer, you're a CPA, financial advisor, architect, consultant, you want to build your book of business and you like to do that based on relationships, I've got the plan for you. Just go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, download my plan for free. It's the same plan I use with my clients. You can customize it for yourself. It's my gift to you for watching the show on YouTube, for listening to the show, revenueroadmapguide.com. All right, so before we took a break, Neville, I asked you specifically about what to do when creditors call, right? Because you shouldn't yeah. ignore those calls. What should you do when creditors call? Right, and I want to start by saying, uh, by giving the, the very important part of the statute. If, if a business person doesn't read any other part of the statute, the bankruptcy code, please read this, that's the part that, uh, that, is, that, that addresses involuntary bankruptcy, involuntary section 303. So uh, what you want to do if you're getting calls is keep in mind that uh, any, if, you, if you have more than 12 creditors, then, then three, uh, at least three creditors, um, uh, with uh, uh, with unsecured aggregate uh, with uh, with aggregate uh, undisputed unsecured debt of at least sixteen thousand dollars roughly can file an involuntary petition against your company, and that involuntary petition is a request that the bank the federal bankruptcy judge put your company into bankruptcy. Uh, very very serious. Um, you absolutely want to avoid that. The legal standard for a bankruptcy judge to to by law put you in a bankruptcy is is uh, well, number one, are all the creditors qualified? Or do they have truly undisputed debts and in the in, in the statutory amount of sixteen thousand? And is it unsecured? Usually, easy to satisfy. But secondly, the legal standard is is the requirement is: Are you generally is the business generally not paying its debts as they come due? It doesn't have to do with is this the, is the bankruptcy the best disposition of the company? Is the company Better off using some other restructuring tool. It's a pretty, it, 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 it's a pretty thin test, and so you want to avoid being in, in in that situation. And so, how do you get creditors to not be so frustrated that they want to do that? Now, keep in mind there are remedies that creditors get overzealous, and they uh, put you in, and you really shouldn't be, and you can sue them for um, for for damages. But by the time you get there, you could have lost your business because you have this, you have the the harm of a, of a bankruptcy filing, which is uh, available for anyone to see on the internet. So how do you give creditors the kind of um, uh, attention so that you avoid that kind of scenario? One is is just basic stuff we learn in third grade. Someone calls you, call them back. Call them back, okay? Um, be responsive. Call them back on time. Don't call them back a week later. They call that day, then return a call that day. If you can't call them, get somebody else to call them, somebody you trust, somebody who represents you well. You might, be, uh, and I represent somebody on the business. I, 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 I suggested somebody on the business side calling back. Don't have your lawyer calling back. That makes it sound like this is going to be litigation. Get a business person to call them back, and preferably you, because they, they, they're investing in you and they trust you. Um, thirdly, 
make sure that everything you say to your creditors is honest and transparent. Do not, this is not the time to give um, uh, incomplete information, false information. Of course, you should do that anyway, but uh, you, you don't want to shade the truth. Be totally honest, totally transparent. Creditors hate it when they're lied to and they know when they're lied to. Look, this is, we, we live in a goldfish economy in, in any event. It's so easy to get information on almost anything. You shouldn't even pretend that uh, it, the truth won't won't come out. So you should do what's right because doing what's right is, is and truthful is, is right in any event. But particularly in business, this is definitely the time to be transparent. Um, and then I urge clients uh, to don't overpromise and underperform. That's that's fatal. One of the one of the first casualties in a financial distress situation, besides uh, inaccuracy, besides accuracy of, of information. Uh, is is trust. It, 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 typically, the creditors have lost trust either in your ability to tell the truth or your ability to perform. And so you have a hurdle, you have a burden on you that you have to take very seriously. I have to rebuild trust with my creditors. And how I'm going to do that, I'm not only going to return their calls, I'm going to tell them exactly what's going on. I'm going to be flat out honest, and I'm going to give them projections that are conservative. And I'm going to build in milestones for, for the recovery process that I know I can keep. Do not build in milestones that, that sound great so, so you think the credit will go away. Oh, he's going to earn a million dollars next year when in privately you know you're barely, barely going to make $250,000. Um, give them conservative projections that are honest and then overperform them. Every time you overperform, you overperform, you build trust. Every time you underperform, you weaken trust. So those are some of the basic tools. Again, a lot of things that we learned from our parents or we learned in third grade, very applicable to the business environment. I think that's fantastic advice. That's really that's really great. I mean, the way I look at it is I know you're embarrassed, but this is going to come out eventually. Yeah, so right. it's going to come out eventually. So let's talk about it now. Let's just get it over yeah. with. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now I want to ask you, Neville, about the superpower that bankruptcy lawyers have when they're negotiating with creditors. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you're so you're, you know, uh, you could be a litigator, but you're at a bankruptcy firm or you're you are a bankruptcy attorney and you litigate sometimes. There's always the ability to put your client into bankruptcy. And my experience from talking to my friends who are bankruptcy lawyers is that's like a superpower because a creditor knows they, you know, they look you up on the firm's website and they know, oh, I'm negotiating with Neville and he hasn't said he's going to put his client into bankruptcy, but he could do it at any time because he's a bankruptcy lawyer. Explain what that means to people. Yeah. So um, the, 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 the bankruptcy filing itself, let's say it's, it's an 11 where you're going to reorganize. Uh, it creates automatically what's called a, a state, an automatic state. And an automatic state is like a big stop sign. It says all you creditors out there across the country, you have to stop. So all of those rights that you creditors have thought you had under your contract to take the company, to break it up, to you, you take your cloud, I take my cloud, blah, 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 that all stops. The economic theory behind it being, of course, that assets are going to create greater value for all the constituents that are, are involved if they're kept together in a single form, instead of allowing creditors to go to disparate forms across, across the country, across the world in some situations, and just interfere with, with the reorganization process. The automatic stay is an enormously powerful tool. If, I'm, if I file and I therefore can stop you from you exercising your remedies, I don't have to ask, I don't have to seek an injunction, I don't have to go through a test of always oh, is, is you know the typical preliminary injunction test is are you likely to succeed on the merits yada 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 it's automatic congress put it in there it's a big stop sign it's, it's automatic 
So that's one of the most powerful tools. Secondly is uh, for an 18, roughly an 18 month period, I'm the only person, the debtor, that has exclusive right to file a plan of reorganization. Now debtors, uh, creditors have a, uh, they try to uh, interfere with that by saying, oh, you should shorten uh, exclusivity because this debtor doesn't know what they're doing. Very hard for, for creditors to obtain that kind of relief. Most judges like to give you that 18 month period. Um, in which only you can file a plan, plan of reorganization. Now, there is a new sub-chapter called Sub-5, which is for smaller uh, cases up to about $7 million of debt. Very, very popular. Uh, and that's where a trustee is appointed more as a consultant, but not to run the business. You still run the business, but the trustee is a consultant to the court and to the business saying, hey, let's try to come up with a plan that is consensual that your, your creditors will agree to. But, but as a debtor, you have that protection of the bankruptcy judge. And there is... Look, there is an institutional bias for to, for reorganization. So judges like to give debtors a chance. Um, and then the other thing is that the um, let's say a uh, let's say there were some transactions that occurred prior to to the bankruptcy that were uh, somewhat questionable uh, that maybe some of the creditors were involved in. One of which is called a fraudulent conveyance doctrine, where um, a uh, transaction with with a company occurred and the non-debtor party uh, uh, receive a transfer uh, for less than uh, reasonably equivalent value, let's say the underpaid for some assets. And as a result of that transaction, the debtor was made insolvent. So that's a situation where the debtor has the ability or the creditors committee sometimes, instead of the debtor pursuing it, to go back and unravel that transaction, say to the judge, they should have been forced, this third party should have been forced to pay more. Uh, they underpaid for these assets. And as a result of their underpaying for them, uh, that led to the debtor's insolvency. Very, very powerful tool. Uh, then there's some other theories that are that kind of keep, keep creditors up at night, which is well, one of which is equitable subordination, where uh, the creditors committee or the debtors may say, you know, judge, this credit. I'm just paraphrasing here. This creditor was so incredibly ruthless in looking after only their own interests, and they took so much control of my company that that's what led me into bankruptcy. So, judge, as a result. You should subordinate their claim below below the claims of other creditors. This would happen. This is what happens when creditors get overzealous in trying to interfere too much in the company's operations. That often gets the ear of a judge, and it sure will get the ear of other creditors who said, "You know, I'm worse off because of this entity being in bankruptcy because you creditor, you were overzealous. So I'm going to support a, 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 a lawsuit to equitably subordinate your claim to the claim of all the creditors. So you don't get paid until all of us get paid. And if we don't get paid in full, that means you get zero. So there are a lot of powers in bankruptcy that the debtor and the creditors committees can use. And if you're in a negotiation prior to bankruptcy and there's some shady conduct that maybe the, the creditor engaged in, engaged in uh, you can say, hey, you know, you, you don't want this to you don't want this to hit the fan of bankruptcy. It's a high, be a high profile matter in and out of court. So you better do, do a deal with me now. Who who gets paid first? How, do, how does the court decide? Uh, does the court decide and how does the court decide who gets paid first? Right. So during the case uh, where, let's say it's at 11 and you're, you're administering it, the, um, the, the, you, you, there's a series of claims that are called uh, administrative claims. Those are claims that are need, needed. Those are claims that are incurred in order to support the business during the case. Uh, vendors who supply a product, post-petition professionals, lawyers, anybody whose claim arises after the bankruptcy case, that's technically considered an administrative claim. And I guess a little complicated uh, to the extent that the cash would be used to pay those claims are encumbered by a, a lien uh, due to secure bank debt, to secure uh, loans that were given to the debtor uh, pre-petition 
and where the cash and all the receivables were committed as collateral. So what you typically do is you go to your your uh, your lenders who have a lien on the receivables and on the cash coming in and say, look, for we're all going to be better off if the business is, is alive. Let me pay these expenses that are necessary to run the business. And we will, as a result of doing that, we will replenish the cash post-petition that we are using uh, that um, or, or that, that is subject to your lien. So you have a lien on this cash, you have a lien on receivables, fair enough. We're going to use that cash. But as a result of using that cash to pay vendors and, and to pursue our plan, we're going to create another stream of receivables that will be even greater, or at least it will no worse than what you have, greater. And we will use the cash and those receivables to replenish the cash that, that was ordinarily part of your collateral. And at the end of this uh, creditor, you're going to be better off because we'll have a going concern business. We'll find a buyer. Uh, you get more of your debt paid as opposed to shutting us down now. And then, as you know, Dave, when you shut, when you shut business down, often people who owe the company money, they say, okay, I'll, I'll sit back, you know, come and get me, come and get me. And then they try to negotiate some discount on the receivable. Receivables always pay more when the business is, is operating. So to answer your question, who gets paid first? The administrative claims, claims, uh, people who are needed, entities are needed to keep the business afloat, professionals, vendors. Uh, and then, um, and then once you get to the plan stage and you're trying to figure out who, what the waterfall is of who gets paid first, that'll be uh, determined according to the non-bankruptcy priorities under uh, under a state law. And we took that under, under state law. So if you're a, a lien holder, uh, you got a security interest in assets and, and you were the first to file your, uh, your what you call your, your uniform commercial code notice, your public notice saying I have a lien, then you'll have a perfected first priority lien on those assets and you'll be entitled to, to the first payment. And then there'll be junior lien holders who file the liens afterwards, they'll get paid in some cases, you have situations where some liens weren't properly perfected, so they get avoided, they get wiped out. That's a nightmare. You obviously want to make sure all your paperwork is there. So lien holders first, and then you have um, in bankruptcy, you have priority unsecured creditors, like say tax claims, uh, employees, wages, that Congress created certain special categories. And then you have your broad class of general unsecured creditors, no lien, uh, no priority created by Congress, but they have a claim for, for unpaid debt. <clears throat> That's fantastic. You've given us kind of a class today on bankruptcy. It's been great. Now, talk to us about your business development activities in addition to, you know, getting getting involved in cases where people will refer you business. What else do you do, Neville, for business development? Sure. Well, one of the things that I made sure that I uh, did when I became a trustee is I wanted to meet all the other trustees. Uh, in, in Chicago, there are roughly 45 of us. So I always make it my business to really get to know all the other trustees. Some of my best cases have come from representing other trustees, which has been great. Um, and so that's the what that's one of the best things I, I've done. I also have expanded my practice to include what are called receiverships, uh, where I either represent uh, receivers. Now receivers are people uh, that handle the financial distress situations, but it's not actually in a bankruptcy case. It might be in state court. Uh, or it might be in federal district court, but not in bankruptcy court itself. But it's the same kind of skill set. And I've had uh, great receivership clients. Um, and then I myself have been appointed a uh, receiver by the SEC uh, in a uh, decent sized case here in Chicago involving a guy who had a Ponzi scheme. And I had to liquidate about $80 million of, uh, of real estate. So I got my team and I here, we were able to secure that business in part because I was able to really put forward some very important credentials, uh, about multi years of many years of experience in, in the trustee community. So we, we gave that to the SEC 
uh, and they, as you know, they um, they need to appoint receivers from outside their office. And so uh, we just made ourselves attractive. And so that has worked out very well. Um, active in the, very active in the National Association of Banksy Trustees, which is a national organization that, um, uh, that represents all the trustees in the country. And so I was active in that for, uh, continue to be active in uh, this past year, I was president uh, for the organization and therefore have uh, broad relationships with trustees across the country. And thankfully, when something's filed here in Chicago and somebody say in Missouri is a bank trustee and they have a client that needs representation, they want to go with somebody that they know. Uh, and so I get a lot of a lot of referrals from that national network. Um, I also uh, network with other uh, uh, people in my office. Of course, I mean, lawyers got to remember one of the best sources of your business is uh, the other lawyers in your office who have relationships with clients that already trust the firm, already trust them. And the client just needs to know, hey, if you got a financial distress situation, then uh, we have a bankruptcy group here that can take care of us. So I get a lot of lot of business that way as well. Uh, and um, uh, through uh, groups like Provisors, uh, which has been great, uh, getting to know people, get, getting to uh, tell, have, having a monthly opportunity to tell people what you've been doing, what you're working on, latest accomplishments, that's been that's been really good, and I can't. I tell my kids this. My wife and I have five kids, and you know they're now getting into their professions. Uh, I tell them, you know, don't uh, don't pass up the opportunity to to get to get speaking engagements to develop a national uh, reputation. And um, I, I just say, you just don't know when that's going to really come back to benefit you. And I I learned that the other day because I was uh, recently inducted into the American College of Bankruptcy. Oh, congrats! That's great. Yeah, thank you. Very- Thanks very much. They're a very selective group. and Yeah, that's uh, terrific. Thanks. So that's uh, those people who follow your career and you don't quite know that they're, they're looking at you and you got to be doing this for at least 15 years. And they like what they saw and they particularly like my leadership in the, in the NEBT, National Association of Banks and Trustees. Uh, and uh, they told me uh, last October that um, uh, I will be inducted. I've been selected to be inducted. Only only 37 people this past year across the whole country were were, were selected. And um, uh, that that's that's quite an honor. Uh, but things like that, credentials like that, help you help augment your uh, your uh, appeal to people who are looking for for assistance in, in financial distress cases. Well, that's fantastic! Congratulations. You mentioned five kids. What? How do you? So, uh, as a as a as an attorney, as a bankruptcy lawyer, you're working a lot of hours. How do you? What do you? How do you balance? Is there balance? Like, what? How did you raise five kids during that time? Yeah, well, the for, first and foremost is my awesome, fabulous wife, <laughs> Donna Reed. <laughs> honey, if you're listening, I, I, I not only tell you you're fabulous privately, but I'm telling you now publicly out there. <laughs> you're a very, is, you're a very smart man, Neville Reed. You're a very happy wife, happy life. Very smart man. <laughs> Could not ask for a better wife. Uh, very understanding, but we really have partnered quite uh, well over the years. Uh, thankfully, you know, there are. Uh, you you do the best you can for your children. You pray for them and, and give them good guidance and mentoring. But it's a really beautiful thing when they start making good choices on their own, even even when 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 you're not around. Um, and so there are the oldest is 31 and the youngest is uh, is 20, soon to be 21. And um, so they're all pretty much in different stages of uh, being on their own. And so my wife and I uh, were pretty close to being empty nesters, and she's a pastor. Uh, so we work together on a lot of, uh, wow, she's problems. really busy too. Holy cow. <laughs> you. Yeah, that is. But to answer the question, you know, we just, um, we, we always, we, we both, we're both very high energy. 
Um, we um, we love uh, we love people. We love our children. We and we love the Lord. Uh, and so uh, all those combine to make for a very uh, a happy home. And um, I'm from a big family. I'm one of six kids. So I I've always treasured having uh, a lot of people around. And so I kind of had a sense of what you got to do to kind of make it all click. And so uh, we just just I mean, we 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 made sure we were in a nice neighborhood. We love the neighborhood we are in Beverly. Uh, my wife got an appointment out to Oak Park, so we're going to be in Oak Park for for uh, for uh, the time now. Um, and uh, so they had also good schools that helped a lot. You know, a lot of studies show that if you want a child to work out well, um, uh, give them good peers. I mean, it, it's it's helpful, obviously, and important that parents do their best. But your kids got to be around other kids who are really positive because that's where they're getting a lot of their messaging. And I I continue to tell them. I said I'm so impressed with your guys' friends. I mean I. Your friends are just great. Your friends could be easily part of our family. They're just you. You, you have very good friends, and that made a, that made a big difference. So all those things worked together, and uh, got them up on Sunday mornings to get them to church, and uh, <laughs> that helped a lot immensely. Yeah. Um, but just give them a lot of love. Give them a lot of love and uh, a lot of guidance. And and, and I'll share this. And this is sort of beyond just business, but sometimes our kids share with us things that they enjoy the most of what we did, and. My son told me something the other day. My oldest son, very, very successful, very bright, uh, graduated from Yale and um, is uh, now doing both ministry and music. And um, he said that, um, he said, Dad, one thing that you and Mom did that I always appreciated was that you always asked me for my opinion. Uh, I, you know, and I thought that was interesting because we often think that kids don't really care or don't know enough to have an opinion or get, they get good grades and so forth. But what do they really think about? Things and he said the fact that you asked me those questions uh, about different topics kind of forced me to think. And he's now what's really beautiful is that now he has really good, well thoughtful, well thought out opinions, and I learn from him a lot. So uh, if anyone's listening there and you're raising children, uh, value their opinions and and get them to think about uh, uh, about about ideas. No, that's that's fantastic advice. That's really that's really great advice. All right, Neville. So. Now what we're going to do is I'm going to give you another minute to think, and I want you to give us three things that people should take away from our time together. So to come up with three things that we talked about today, could be across any of the subjects that we talked about, three things that people should think about. While you're thinking about that, I want to remind you again that Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is the sponsor of our show. And they have a unique focus also on real estate. Believe it or not, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors created a structure for real estate investment trusts a number of years ago. And that structure has become the standard for how real estate investment trusts are treated and how they're handled. It's called the UPREIT structure. And it was invented by Sandrowski and they can employ this for you on your behalf What you need to do is you need to reach out to them. The other thing that I love that Sandrowski Corporate Advisors do is they're focused on forensic accounting. So if you have an issue, like some of the issues we've talked about today, and you need somebody to really dive into the numbers and figure out what's going on. Like, for example, if you're uh, you're two partners and you've decided that you're going to you're going to split up and you're going to go your separate ways. One partner has been handling the books. The other partner was kind of blind to the financials. And the partner who's been handling the books comes to the other partner and says, all right, this is what I'm going to pay you. This is what the buyout is because this is what the business is worth. And then the first partner says, well, I'd like to look at the books and see. And that 
he doesn't know what he's looking at. That's the perfect time to reach out to Sandrowski Corporate Advisors and call them. They can look at the books and they can tell you what the business is really worth. They'll do an analysis. They'll look at comparable businesses. They'll look at your cash flow, your assets. They'll give it the full treatment and you will discover what your business is really worth. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors really is a CPA firm with a different perspective. If you'd like information about any of these things, the the forensic accounting or the upreach structure or the qualified small business exemption, you got to give them a call. 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. You can also take advantage of my Revenue Roadmap Guide. It's my gift to you. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, download your free guide to business development. It's a business development plan. I'm giving it to you because I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you watching. Our guest today is Neville Reed, and he's an excellent, outstanding bankruptcy attorney and trustee in Chicago. If you want to reach out to him, I want you to call 312-224-1245, 312-224-1245. We will also put his email address and the link to his bio page at his firm in the show notes. Do not hesitate to reach out to him if you have any questions about bankruptcy or if creditors are beating down your door, you own a company and you have had conversations with them, but you're really concerned, give Neville a call. He can give you some guidance on what you can do. And bankruptcy may not be what you need to do. You heard him say it. He said it here today. He often counsels people not to file for bankruptcy. There are other solutions you can employ, but you got to get the advice first. Anything you tell him, remember, he's he's a lawyer. Anything you tell him is privileged. He's not going to share it with the general public. Nobody else is going to know. And it's going to be okay. <laughs> That's the one thing I can tell you. If you get a bankruptcy attorney involved, it is that's the beginning of things getting better for you. All right, Neville, what are the three things we should take away from our time together today? Sure. Uh, the first I would say is that if you're in financial distress and you're considering bankruptcy, remember that there are a lot of tools available that will enable you to get the benefits of bankruptcy without actually filing for bankruptcy. Very important. Uh, don't rush to bankruptcy. You can get the benefits of bankruptcy without filing for bankruptcy through a lot of tools that we can use to work with you to, to keep your company uh, out of uh, out of bankruptcy and to get on a recovery track without going through the potential adverse effects of bankruptcy filing. Secondly is Apollo 13. Uh, that's one of my favorite movies. And that movie, if you recall, where uh, Tom Hanks is playing the role of the lead uh, astronaut, that was a, 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 a flight to the moon that was not successful in the sense that they weren't able to make the landing and had to get back to Earth. And one of the most powerful statements that, that um, uh, Tom Hanks says at the end, and I don't know if it's historically correct, but it sure is, I think, helpful, is Apollo 13 was a successful failure. A successful failure. So if you should be in financial distress, and even if bankruptcy is the best tool for you, don't look upon it as a failure to yourself. Personally, look upon it as an opportunity and it's an opportunity to have a successful, that is, the business didn't go the way you wanted to, but it is an opportunity for a turnaround and for a fresh start. And then thirdly is third grade. There are so many things that I remember and that I use in my uh, practice that frankly, I learned in third grade. Be honest with people, treat them with respect. Um, uh, try not to brag and say you're going to be able to do something that you can't. If you're going to say you can do something, then follow through and do it and be responsive. Somebody calls you, 
uh, return their call and get back to really basic stuff uh, that can help keep you out of trouble. Uh, that's great advice. Thank you, Neville. Our guest today has been Neville Reed. He is a bankruptcy attorney and a trustee in Chicago. If you want to reach out to him, you call 312-224-1245. You can also find his email address and a link to his bio page in the show notes. Neville, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a privilege having you with us. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, folks, that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. We will be back here tomorrow with another edition of our show. Until then, I'm Dave Lorenzo, and here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.